The Autobiography of Benjamin Franklin. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. The Autobiography of Benjamin Franklin by Benjamin Franklin. But this affair having turned my thoughts to marriage, I looked round me and made overtures of acquaintance in other places, but soon found that, the business of a printer being generally thought a poor one, I was not to expect money with a wife, unless with such a one as I should not otherwise think agreeable. A friendly correspondence as neighbors and old acquaintances had continued between me and Mrs. Reed's family, who all had a regard for me from the time of my first lodging in their house. I was often invited there and consulted in their affairs, wherein I sometimes was of service. I pitied poor Miss Reed's unfortunate situation, who was generally dejected, seldom cheerful, and avoided company. I considered my giddiness and inconstancy when in London as, in a great degree, the cause of her unhappiness, though the mother was good enough to think the fault more her own than mine, as she had prevented our marrying before I went thither, and persuaded the other match in my absence. Our mutual affection was revived, but there were now great objections to our union. The match was, indeed, looked upon as invalid, a preceding wife being said to be living in England, but this could not easily be proved because of the distance, and though there was a report of his death, it was not certain. Then, though it should be true, he had left many debts, which his successor might be called upon to pay." We ventured, however, over all these difficulties, and I took her to wife, September 1st, 1730. None of the inconveniences happened that we had apprehended. She proved a good and faithful helpmate, assisted me much by attending the shop. We throve together, and have ever mutually endeavored to make each other happy. Thus, I corrected that great erratum as well as I could." About this time, our club meeting not at a tavern, but in a little room of Mr. Grace's, set apart for that purpose, a proposition was made by me that, since our books were often referred to in our disquisitions upon the queries, it might be convenient for us to have them all together where we met, that upon occasion they might be consulted. And by thus clubbing our books to a common library, we should while we like to keep them together, have each of us the advantage of using the books of all the other members, which would be nearly as beneficial as if each owned the whole. It was liked and agreed to, and we filled one end of the room with such books as we could best spare. The number was not so great as we expected, and though they had been of great use, yet some inconveniences occurring for want of due care of them, the collection after about a year was separated, and each took his books home again. And now I set on foot my first project of a public nature, that for a subscription library. I drew up the proposals, got them put into form by our great scrivener, Brockton, and, by the help of my friends in the Junto, procured fifty subscribers of forty shillings each to begin with, and ten shillings a year for fifty years, the term our company was to continue. We afterwards obtained a charter, the company being increased to one hundred. This was the mother of all the North American subscription libraries, now so numerous. It has become a great thing itself, and continually increasing. 
these libraries have improved the general conversation of the americans made the common tradesmen and farmers as intelligent as most gentlemen from other countries and perhaps have contributed in some degree to the stand so generally made throughout the colonies in defence of their privileges memo thus far was written with the intention expressed in the beginning and therefore contains several little family anecdotes of no importance to others what follows was written many years after in compliance with the advice contained in these letters and accordingly intended for the public the affairs of the revolution occasioned the interruption continuation of the account of my life begun at passy near paris seventeen eighty four it is some time since i received the above letters but i have been too busy till now to think of complying with the requests they contain it might, too, be much better done if I were at home among my papers, which would aid my memory and help to ascertain dates, but my return being uncertain and having just now a little leisure, I will endeavor to recollect and write what I can. If I live to get home, it may there be corrected and improved. Not having any copy here of what is already written, I know not whether an account is given of the means I used to establish the Philadelphia Public Library which from a small beginning is now become so considerable though i remember to have come down to near the time of that transaction seventeen thirty i will therefore begin here with an account of it which may be struck out if found to have been already given at the time i established myself in pennsylvania there was not a good bookseller's shop in any of the colonies to the southward of boston in new york and philadelphia the printers were indeed stationers they sold only paper etc almanacs ballads and a few common school books those who loved reading were obliged to send for their books from england the members of the junto had each a few we had left the alehouse where we first met and hired a room to hold our club in i proposed that we should all of us bring our books to that room where they would not only be ready to consult in our conferences but become a common benefit each of us being at liberty to borrow such as he wished to read at home this was accordingly done and for some time contented us finding the advantage of this little collection i proposed to render the benefit from books more common by commencing a public subscription library i drew a sketch of the plan and rules that would be necessary and got a skilful conveyancer mr charles brockton to put the whole in form of articles of agreement to be subscribed by which each subscriber engaged to pay a certain sum down for the first purchase of books and an annual contribution for increasing them so few were the readers at that time in philadelphia and the majority of us so poor that i was not able with great industry to find more than fifty persons mostly young tradesmen willing to pay down for this purpose forty shillings each and ten shillings per annum on this little fund we began the books were imported the library was opened one day in the week for lending to the subscribers on their promissory notes to pay double the value if not duly returned the institution soon manifested its utility was imitated by other towns and in other provinces the libraries were augmented by donations reading became fashionable and our people having no public amusements to divert their attention from study became better acquainted with books 
and in a few years were observed by strangers to be better instructed and more intelligent than people of the same rank generally are in other countries. When we were about to sign the above-mentioned articles, which were to be binding on us, our heirs, etc., for fifty years, Mr. Brockton, the scrivener, said to us, you are young men, but it is scarcely probable that any of you will live to see the expiration of the term fixed in the instrument. A number of us, however, are yet living, but the instrument was after a few years rendered null by a charter that incorporated and gave perpetuity to the company. The objections and reluctances I met with in soliciting the subscriptions made me soon feel the impropriety of presenting oneself as the proposer of any useful project that might be supposed to raise one's reputation in the smallest degree above that of one's neighbors when one has need of their assistance to accomplish the project i therefore put myself as much as i could out of sight and stated it as a scheme of a number of friends who had requested me to go about and propose it to such as they thought lovers of reading in this way my affair went on more smoothly and i ever after practised it on such occasions and for my frequent successes can heartily recommend it the present little sacrifice of your vanity will afterwards be amply repaid if it remains a while uncertain to whom the merit belongs someone more vain than yourself will be encouraged to claim it and then even envy will be disposed to do you justice by plucking those assumed feathers and restoring them to their right owner this library afforded me the means of improvement by constant study for which i set apart an hour or two each day and thus repaired in some degree the loss of the learned education my father once intended for me reading was the only amusement i allowed myself i spent no time in taverns games or frolics of any kind and my industry and my business continued as indefatigable as was necessary i was indebted for my printing-house i had a young family coming on to be educated and i had to contend with for business two printers who were established in the place before me my circumstances however grew daily easier my original habits of frugality continuing, and my father having, among his instructions to me when a boy, frequently repeated a proverb of Solomon, Seest thou a man diligent in his calling, he shall stand before kings, he shall not stand before mean men. I from thence considered industry as a means of obtaining wealth and distinction, which encouraged me, though I did not think I should ever literally stand before kings which, however, has since happened, for I have stood before five, and even had the honor of sitting down with one, the King of Denmark, to dinner. We have an English proverb that says, He that would thrive must ask his wife. It was lucky for me that I had one as much disposed to industry and frugality as myself. She assisted me cheerfully in my business, folding and stitching pamphlets, tending shop, purchasing old linen rags for the paper-makers, etc., etc. We kept no idle servants, our table was plain and simple, our furniture of the cheapest. For instance, my breakfast was a long time bread and milk, no tea, and I ate it out of a twopenny earthen porringer, with a pewter spoon. 
but mark how luxury will enter families and make a progress in spite of principle being called one morning to breakfast i found it in a china bowl with a spoon of silver they had been bought for me without my knowledge by my wife and had cost her the enormous sum of three and twenty shillings for which she had no other excuse or apology to make but that she thought her husband deserved a silver spoon and china bowl as well as any of his neighbors this was the first appearance of plate and china in our house which afterward in a course of years as our wealth increased augmented gradually to several hundred pounds in value i had been religiously educated as a presbyterian and though some of the dogmas of that persuasion such as the eternal decrees of god election reprobation etc appeared to me unintelligible others doubtful and i early absented myself from the public assemblies of the sect sunday being my studying day i was never without some religious principles i never doubted for instance the existence of the deity that he made the world and governed it by his providence that the most acceptable service of god was the doing good to man that our souls are immortal and that all crime will be punished and virtue rewarded either here or hereafter these i esteemed the essentials of every religion and being to be found in all the religions we had in our country i respected them all though with different degrees of respect as i found them more or less mixed with other articles which without any tendency to inspire promote or confirm morality served principally to divide us and make us unfriendly to one another this respect to all with an opinion that the worst had some good effects induced me to avoid all discourse that might tend to lessen the good opinion another might have of his own religion and as our province increased in people and new places of worship were continually wanted and generally erected by voluntary contribution my might for such purpose whatever might be the sect was never refused though i seldom attended any public worship i still had an opinion of its propriety and of its utility when rightly conducted and i regularly paid my annual subscription for the support of the only presbyterian minister or meeting we had in philadelphia he used to visit me sometimes as a friend and admonished me to attend his administrations and i was now and then prevailed on to do so once for five sundays successively had he been in my opinion a good preacher perhaps i might have continued notwithstanding the occasion i had for the sunday's leisure in my course of study but his discourses were chiefly either polemic arguments or explications of the peculiar doctrines of our sect and were all to me very dry uninteresting and unedifying since not a single moral principle was inculcated or enforced their aim seeming to be rather to make us presbyterians than good citizens 